0: In this room here, we have what I call the classic images, most of them done in the 1910s and 20s, starting without any order involved, other than the, the, the ones fixed on the wall where we have put them for this exhibition in Pus- Pushkin House.
1: You may have spotted
0: the poster showing a boy
1: with rabbit for dinner when walking past Bloomsbury Way. It offers only a glimpse, however, into what can be found on display inside Pushkin House. A flawless collection of photographs by Margaret Watkins, depicting life in Moscow and Leningrad as she witnessed it in her 1933 visit. Welcome to the Pushkin House podcast. Today we are in conversation with Joe Maholland, the proprietor of the Hidden Lane Gallery in Glasgow and keeper of the Margaret Watkins Archive. We talk hours prior to the opening of the exhibition at Pushkin House about the extraordinary life and work of Miss Watkins and of Joe's equally extraordinary connection with her now spanning over four decades.
0: I, I was born in, uh, outside Glasgow in Scotland in 1940. Um, I was a war baby. I, and unusually for the group within I w- within which I was born and grew up and school and so on, there was not a great deal of interest in the arts. But I always was interested in such things, encouraged by my parents to read from a very early age and to go to art exhibitions and go to things like that. I was always intrigued by photography as one of many areas that I, I admired greatly and admired work by people who had excelled in this, Uh, but I never thought I would have a close association with anything photographic other than as an admirer and perhaps as a, in a small way, a collector. I I married 1965, uh, Claire, whom I'd met when we were students in Dublin, and we bought, a year after we were married, we bought a house, a 14-room house. in four stories, uh, and all my colleagues said, You're a madman to buy a place that big. Uh, I, I'm still in the same house 50 years later, and it's getting small for me with all the things I collect. But opposite that house, in a little triangular gardens in Glasgow, there was a bleak looking house opposite ours, uh, in a much bigger house with an extra floor. It actually has 17 rooms. Uh, and all we saw occasionally was the shadow of an old lady uh, on a blind, uh, obviously doing her night uh, ablutions. And then one night uh, we saw my wife and I saw people coming out of the back door of the house into a basement area and carting things out in what could only be described as a furtive manner to a car and I I thought this is wrong Uh, so I phoned The only person I knew, were we were very young, didn't know all the people round about, and the only man I knew well was Sir John Boyd, who had been one of my professors at university um, of mercantile law, and he said, oh, I don't know anything about her, but there's a woman called Watkins, I think her name's Margaret, nobody's ever seen her. Um, So I then looked up the telephone book and there it was, Margaret Watkins, or Miss M. Watkins and I phoned and a voice, a mid-Atlantic uh, accent, well a, a lady answered the phone and I, I said uh, what I was worried about and she started to reply to me and then a man came onto the phone and said, what's the problem? And I explained what it was she says, oh it's, it's me, I'm doing it, I'm Miss Watkins' best friend. So I was mortified and the next day my wife and small baby uh, went across with a little bunch of snowdrops, not an elegant large bunch of flowers, by way of apology, saying uh, an apology for our intrusion. And uh, this delightful small lady, who was old but she wasn't elderly, uh, came to the door dressed in black, very small, uh, small person but large presence, and she said, Come in, children, and brought us into the house. It took us a big job. To, an, an hour later, to escape, because she was so interesting in our conversation, and we got on so well. And we only we left only after we promised to come regularly to visit her. These, these photographs in front of us just now is a self-portrait by Margaret Watkins, uh, in which she looks a, a, a very intelligent and almost imperious-looking uh, lady around the. 40 mark, I think. And in Beneath It, and this is the, uh, the original, she has typed on her old typewriter, Miss Watkins took this portrait of herself by means of an ingeniously devised mechanism. And that sort of sums up Margaret Watkins, a woman full of confidence at the time of this portrait, at the height of her career in New York, where she was the equal uh, and by. Companion of many of the very top photographers who are renowned to this day, Steiglitz and Steichen and many others, Gertrude Casibier and others. And she is so full of confidence and so full of intelligence and so full of joie de vivre. But then alongside it, we have a portrait taken by her some 20 years later. And this one is of of a shadow of an elderly lady on steps. And when I first came across the story of Margaret Watkins, having known her for 18 months, two years maybe, prior to her death, she seemed a, a, a person full of life, full of everything. But after her death, and when she had given me a box to be opened only after her death, I realised I knew nothing about her. This friendship grew uh, very well. She was a wonderful conversationalist with a vocabulary which I had only come across, as a student of uh, literature and all sorts, I'd only come across in the written word. She had, if there were 17 words for something with a different nuance from each, she had the exact apt one for it. She talked of politics, she talked of music, of the environment, of trees, of uh, everything under the sun. Uh, never once did she mention photography. But I had no reason to think that that was strange because I didn't know of any connection she had with photography. But a year or so later, she phoned me and said, could I help her urgently with two things? One was to draw up a will for her she then said the second favour, and she showed me uh, a big box uh, about two thirds of a metre uh, by half a metre uh, in dimensions and about um, two thirds of a metre high. Uh, it's what's called a, a Saratoga trunk, the shape of it, uh, and it was wrapped in brown paper tied up with heavy string, and the joints on the string sealed with sealing wax, so that it could not be opened without anyone thereafter knowing it had been opened. And I had to promise I would not open this until after her death. And she mentioned something, I think, about pictures or photographs, and I assumed it was the family Victorian photographs things of interest only to the people, only to the family themselves, and of no interest to anyone else, sort of things that were thrown out in the clearing of a house because nobody was interested in them. So I took the box away, she asked me to take it home with me immediately, and were very, very heavy, and I, but I, I was 28 years of age at the time, I suppose, I was able to carry this with no trouble at all across to my house, but I put it in a cupboard and forgot about it. I forgot about it for a couple of years after Margaret Watkins' death and I forgot the box and eventually I mean I still to continue working with the Daily Express and various other things I was doing but I came across the box by chance uh, one time when I was looking for a towel and my wife had to remove the towels from the bathroom and not replace them so I had to go to this cupboard to take them out and I stood there getting a towel, naked and dripping, and saw the box and I pulled the string which burst and I started looking at it and two or three hours later I had a towel round my shoulders and I was looking through the most wonderful photographs I had ever handled myself. So I've worked on and off on this for now 45 years Um, and I've tried to get people. I brought along someone to see it from the Scottish Arts Council photographs, and he said in measured tones of interest. If she were associated, even peripherally, with some photographer of even minor importance, try the local camera club. I was shattered. I knew these were of world class. So by chance, some years later, I met a man called Dale Stultz in uh, the bar at Heathrow. Uh, and I was waiting for a plane to go to Glasgow and he was on the start of a trip back to America. It turned out that he had just left Christie's in New York where he was the photographic expert and he'd left there to join a a gallery in New York called Light Gallery, which became the foremost gallery for pictorial art, possibly in the world at that time, under Dale Stokes. So uh, we had one or two drinks in the bar and then one or two more and then several more. And We both missed our planes and he then um, came up to Glasgow with me the following morning where we staggered into my house and he sh- I showed him the Watkins photographs and he said, my first exhibition in Light Gallery, it was in 1984, ni- 1983 uh, or 84, um, shall be Margaret Watkins. At the, that very first um, exhibition in New York, the man in charge of photography at the National Gallery of Canada, who was absolutely uh, sold on the idea of Margaret Watkins as a great artist he said we must have an exhibition in the National Gallery of Canada. It took 28 years to get it in the National Gallery and that was five years ago that we had this wonderful exhibition for which they also produced uh, a, a marvelous catalog come almost definitive book on Margaret Watkins' work. Along uh, on the other side of the two portraits there is an absolutely beautiful study of a man and woman walking. This would probably have been a commissioned portrait of the couple. But they're so happy, they're so at ease, it makes you happy just to look at them walking along, she taking his arm and they're uh, just happy together and very much of their time. In the mid 1920s in somewhere near New York. Below it is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, it's simply described as the wharf but a design in angles. She used uh, angles in everything in her composition and she would work this out that the various angles in this would form a cohesive whole that would give you great satisfaction just to look at it. It's difficult to say why you have that satisfaction. It's simply of a rowing boat beside a wooden a jetty, a fairly crude one, probably on a lake, it's certainly not on something like the Hudson River in New York. It must be a lake somewhere in Cannon, Connecticut or someplace like that. But there is such a satisfying feel about it, a feeling you look at it and there's, although they are inanimate objects, you could say it's almost serene. that you, you, you're, you're happy to look at it and look at it. It's one of my absolute favourites amongst her works.
1: At one stage, Joe owned all the local newspapers in Glasgow, which he started himself. He supplied Libertines in London with furniture, had an antiques business to cover his resting periods as a freelance journalist. Over the years, whatever he did, he consistently kept the Margaret Watkins fire burning. It wasn't until he started to convert some of his derelict property near the city centre in Glasgow to be lent to people with creative purposes that Joe really acquired the income and interest leading him to now own over 100 studio spaces, transforming one of the city's areas from poor and dangerous into one of its most sought after. Can I I
0: call you an arts and culture philanthropist, in a way? Well, I wouldn't put the word in your mouth, but I'd be rather pleased. (laughs) Good, Good because I I do like that. But I I then had space. I also had income coming in to assure me of uh, not ever having to worry about money again. Mm -hmm. So I opened a gallery specifically to show the work of Margaret Watkins and that opened nine nearly ten years ago and I have an exhibition of a different aspect of her work every year, generally in November which was both her birthday uh, and the day the time that she died and it seemed appropriate. Initially I knew nothing of Margaret Watkins connection with anything in Russia but then in the house, we found boxes of negatives. Eventually, I came across these negatives and uh, 7,000 negatives. Uh, five or 600 of them are in Russia, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, but when eventually some research was done, um, and we discovered that she had been in Russia in 1933, from letters from all sorts of... Bits and pieces because it was total chaos in the house, um, and I, I discovered that she had been a member of the Royal Photographic Society in London, and it was a group from the Royal Photographic Society which uh, took organised the trip to Russia. So she she went to Russia in 1933 and uh, wandered around. They were very restricted in where they could go and what they could do. Uh, When we started to look at the the Russian pictures, they were just so good. Uh, I don't think she was impeded by the authorities at all in what she chose to... um, pictures of children in kindergartens, workers working um, kiosks in the street, uh, an Orthodox priest, which... uh, and so on. It, it, it had and church gates with people, children climbing on them, and so on. I, that I, I think that it, it was not. It, it may have brought a discipline to her when doing things that uh, she, she um, managed to record the Russia that she was seeing uh, in a way that. Uh, has given us a wonderful picture of life in Russia at that time. And uh, she's an outsider looking in, but with, to- with, with total sympathy and empathy when she's doing it. 71 of the 80 pictures are of Russia, so it's not really a full retrospective. But to put it in perspective, the the other ones in in the library in Pushkin House are to give a taste of the range of her classic images made in the 1910s and 20s. The ones that it turns out from research caused such interest and such admiration uh, in the, the 1910s and 20s there. She was written of in Vanity Fair, in the New Yorker, in all sorts of places and she was obviously hugely regarded uh, there and you can see why when you see these pictures which have just a a class of their own. But we we then go on to one of the most beautiful. She did a whole range of of, uh, subjects. This one is of a very elegant nude. It is not erotic, it is just beautiful uh, uh, as a a statue from ancient Greece would be beautiful. This is oh, of a nude. You only see her from the back, and her hand is up on top of a fourfold screen, um, an oriental screen. Uh, and it is simple and beautiful, but it is also uh, it's one of the, the, the most elegant compositions I've ever come across. At the exhibition in the National Gallery of Canada, the blue the the nude part of this the figure part of this picture into a piece twenty feet high, which was on the wall outside the National Gallery of Canada in ottawa i', I seeing standing twenty feet high and my children who were there, my children by the way, are in their 40s, but some uh, television person asked, "What do you think of that and uh, my son said, Well, considering that throughout my childhood it's hung on a wall and it was about eight inches or ten inches high, it's amazing to see it drawn up to be three times a person's height or four times. But it, again, it's one of the most elegant compositions I, I, I have ever come across. So, I mean, the, the, the sad thing is that her last 40 years of her life were waiting to go back to New York. When she died alone in the 17-room house in Glasgow in 1969, she had her bags still packed to come back to New York. Five years before her death, she was unable to pay on a continuing basis the insurance for her belongings in storage in New York, and they were all disposed of. Uh, probably hundreds more photographs and all sorts of things, negatives, uh, photographic plates, but there is enough left, a huge amount left. I'm actually quite grateful that these things weren't found because 45 years of my life has been, a substantial part of that has been taken up with Margaret Watkins, and I try occasionally to have a life of my own, but if there had been more stuff, I may, of course, have just said there was too much and given up, but she's now established as a major name in photography and a growing name. I hope that this is going, this exhibition at Pushkin House is going to introduce Margaret Watkins to a new public in London and that in the next two months, because the exhibition is on until February, that they will come here and discover this uh, and want to know more about it. And there's a possibility, I don't know whether Pushkin will consider this, of having an exhibition of other aspects of our work here, even if it doesn't have the Russian connection. But I hope that this is going to open another new field uh, of interest uh, to to, uh, the, the potential public for Margaret Watkins. And I'm very, very happy to have it here in these absolutely elegant and beautiful surroundings. It uh, does, the surroundings do the pictures credit and the pictures do the surroundings credit too. In speaking with Joe, I
1: felt his immense sense of duty towards Margaret Watkins. To witness this extraordinary collection, visit Pushkin House and see Margaret Watkins, Leningrad and Moscow, 1933, for yourselves. The exhibition closes on the 9th of February 2018. I'm Boromir Totev, and you've been listening to the Pushkin
0: House podcast. I was intrigued with the story. It was a mystery, but also I felt I'd been, I handed a chalice that I had to do something with and to not do it would have been, uh, if there are such things as sins, it would have been a sin because she would have been forgotten
1: forever.